Let's pray. Father, we do declare your greatness in this place this morning. You are the name above all names. You are worthy of all of our praise. May we never forget that, Lord. May we never forget who you are. May we never forget that you are glorious and you are beautiful and you are high and lifted up. And we are just lowly dust, Lord. What are we? What is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you consider him? Lord, we thank you for your glory. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your majesty, Lord. We thank you that you are seated on your throne and that you are in control regardless of what we see with the storms around us and the trials and the uncertainty, the fear of the future, Lord. We know that the future is in your hands. So we are safe and we are secured in the palms of your hands. Lord, bless your people today. Would you speak to us today through your word, Father? Fill this place with your presence. Fill this place with yourself, we pray, Jesus. And it's for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right, we're going to be in Isaiah 25 this morning, if you'd like to open up there. Isaiah chapter 25, and we're going to read verses 1 through 4. Isaiah 25, verse 1. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. For you have made a city a ruin, a fortified city a ruin, a place of foreigners to be a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Verse 3, therefore the strong people will glorify you. The city of the terrible nations will fear you. For you have been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. For the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. And I've entitled this message, A Refuge from the Storm. A Refuge from the Storm, out of Isaiah 25, verse 4. Now, if you've been with us for the last several months, you will know that Isaiah chapter 13, all the way through Isaiah chapter 24, dealt with the burden or the oracle or the judgment of God against several nations, including Judah and Israel, but uh, specifically the nations around Judah and Israel, the nations that surrounded them, their enemies and so forth. And if you've been with us through our study, especially our, our in-depth study on Wednesday nights, uh, you'll see that everything that God predicted came to pass, even though it was sometimes hundreds and hundreds of years uh, in advance that the prophecies were made. Everything literally came to pass as God predicted that it would in his judgment against all of these nations. Uh, and then in Isaiah 24, uh, last week, we saw the great tribulation period, which is the judgment of God, not upon a nation, but upon the nations of the whole earth in the last days. Uh, which I believe that we are living in those days. I believe that the judgment of God has already begun against our world and against our nation. And, and we have turned away from God as a nation. And so God will turn away from those who turn away from him. It's, it's very simple. If you don't want God to rule over your life, he won't rule over your life in, in the way that, uh, uh, that he wants to. He will yield to your act of your free will, your volition, your choice. He gave, us, he gave us choice. He honors our choices. And so if we individually don't want to surrender to God, we don't want to submit to God, God says that my spirit will not strive with man forever. He'll give you over. Romans 1 talks about a whole generation of people that were given over by God to do the things they wanted to do, although it was against God's word, against God's commandments, against God's will, and led to their own self-destruction, but we're not robots, 
And God doesn't just program us like a computer. He gives us a choice in the matter. And so uh, in the end, God is going to have to judge this world because this world doesn't want anything to do with Jesus Christ. Primarily, this world overwhelmingly doesn't want God to rule over them. This, the people of this generation don't want anyone to tell them anything. They don't want anyone to give them any rules. They want to basically be the master uh, of their own fate, the captain of their own destiny. Uh, and it's a very dangerous thing when we cast off the rules of God and we cast off uh, the oracles of God and we cast off the commandments of the Lord because those are given to us to protect us, to keep us safe. Uh, the Ten Commandments are really for our own good. Not that we have to keep the Ten Commandments. We really only have two commandments, love God and love your neighbor. Jesus boiled it down to this and summarized it for us. But really, if you, if you look at the Ten Commandments that God gave man, it's for man's own good that he gave us these commandments. If we follow these things, it's going to go well for us, for our families, for our children, for our governments, for our society. But as we cast God off and we cast off his law and we cast off his rules and we don't want God to rule over us anymore, the most dangerous thing that can happen is that God gives you what you want. That he doesn't fight with you anymore. He doesn't strive with you anymore. And he just lets you go headlong into your own self-destruction. This happens with individuals. It happens with nations. And it's happening to our whole world right now all at the same time. Which is amazing because God predicted all of these things to be the case in the last days. Now, when we get into Isaiah chapter 25, after the Isaiah 13 to 24, all of the judgments of God being detailed and, and, and described for us, um, in Isaiah 25, we begin to see the triumphs of the kingdom age. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus taught us to pray as his disciples. And this is that time when God's reign will be over the earth, when Jesus Christ will be ruling and reigning over the earth for 1,000 years in his blessed millennial reign of Christ, the kingdom age of the Messiah. And so after the things of the great tribulation, we have this beautiful kingdom age that's going to come under this earth where everything is going to be done right and everything that's going to be done in this earth is going to be according to the will of God and Jesus is going to rule and reign with a rod of iron in righteousness and justice and truth and the result will be peace that will flow like a river throughout the whole earth because man is is not going to be fighting with his creator anymore man is going to be submitted Really, for the first time since before the fall in the Garden of Eden, where we will walk uh, with the Lord in the cool of the day. In Isaiah chapter 26, we have more promises uh, about this uh, praising God in the kingdom age. And uh, also uh, Israel in Isaiah chapter 27 and, and the blessings upon the nation of Israel during that time. But here in Isaiah chapter 25, I want to just slow down and, and, and spend some time looking at this, um, this idea that when God comes and rules and reigns over the earth, uh, everything is going to be made right. He's going to reverse the curse and all the wicked are going to be punished and uh, everyone is going to follow and obey King Jesus during this time and it's going to be glorious here on the earth. And so whenever we talk about prophecy and we talk about the judgments of God, it's not the end of the story. Uh, the end of the story is, is glorious. The, the great tribulation is not the end of the story. The Antichrist and his government is not the end of the story. The mark of the beast is not the end of the story, although all of that is still coming. The end of the story is glorious because Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign over the earth and you and I as his church his bride the Bible says that we are going to rule and reign with him in Psalm chapter 2 the psalmist speaks about this reign of the son of God in verse 7 Psalm chapter 2 verse 7 the Lord has said to me you are my son today I have begotten you the only begotten son of God speaking of Jesus Christ Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth for your possession. For you shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Verse 10, Now therefore be wise, O kings. 
Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he become angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. And so the son of God, Jesus Christ, the only begotten son of God the Father, is being given the nations by God the Father. He's giving his son the nations for his inheritance, the very ends of the earth for his possession. God the Father speaking to Jesus Christ, God the Son, the Lord has said to me, Jesus says, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, I will give you the nations for your inheritance. Notice that when Jesus comes, he's going to break them with a rod of iron. He's going to dash them in pieces like a potter's Vessel. Jesus came the first time as a lamb to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. When Jesus Christ comes back the second time, he's coming back as a lion. The roaring lion of the tribe of Judah to come and to make war with the enemies of God. And to destroy the works of the devil once and for all time here upon the earth. And so we're told, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Those who are leading uh, the people of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun. Literally worship the sun. Lest he become angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. So his wrath is coming. His wrath is going to come and be poured out upon this world. We will not be here for this time. We will not be here for the great tribulation period. We may be here for the first part of the tribulation period. I don't think so. I think we'll be gone for the whole seven-year time period. Uh, but I know we will not be here for the great tribulation period for the last three and a half years. We cannot be here. We will be with Jesus uh, in heaven for the Bema Seat of Christ, receiving our rewards for the things that we've done here in the flesh, in our lives for Jesus. Uh, and then we will be preparing to come back with him as he comes back to set up his kingdom. Revelation chapter 19 tells us, and we are, will be prepared for the marriage supper of the Lamb, for the bride uh, has made herself ready, and we are the bride of Jesus Christ. Now in Isaiah chapter 9, we read this about the kingdom age and the Messiah's reign. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And so the promised Messiah... The one who will be born of the virgin. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. The virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. And this son that is going to come. He's the son of God. He is a son that's given to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He is called the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This is speaking of Jesus. Jesus would say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and my Father are one. Jesus is exactly like his Father. That's why Jesus could say, if you've seen me, uh, you have seen the Father. He's going to have a government. Uh, he's going to establish peace on the earth. And there will be no end to his government. This is still yet future Right now, his kingdom is reigning over his people, uh, his church, in a spiritual sense. We are uh, his people. He's our king. This is a kingdom. Uh, but it's not a physical, literal kingdom like ancient Israel was. This is a spiritual, uh, mystical kingdom, as it were. The kingdom of God ruling over his people through the Holy Spirit over our hearts. But there will be a physical, literal kingdom someday. 
that God will rule over this earth and it will be glorious. It will be perfect. It will be beautiful. The curse will be reversed and it will be like it was prior to the fall in the Garden of Eden and it's going to be restored. In Psalm chapter 45, in verse 1, we read this about the king and his kingdom. My heart is overflowing, Psalm 45, 1, with a good theme. I recite my, competition, my composition concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword upon your thigh, O mighty one, with your glory and your majesty. And in your majesty, ride prosperously because of truth, humility, and righteousness. And your right hand shall teach you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and you hate wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. All your garments are scented with myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory palaces by which they have made you glad." Guys, can we shut off the heaters up here? It's kind of a little warm, these two heaters up here. Thank you so much. But this is speaking here of Jesus. This is a recitation. He's reciting his composition concerning the coming king. This is speaking prophetically of the kingdom age of King Jesus when he comes to set up his kingdom. You notice here that he's fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon his lips. Jesus, the amazing grace that comes through Jesus Christ. Uh, gird your sword. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God. Uh, you are the mighty one. With your glory and your majesty. In your majesty ride prosperously. Because of what? Because of truth, humility, and righteousness. These are the characteristics of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Truth. He is truth incarnate. He says that he is the truth that has come in the flesh. Humility. He said, learn from me for I am meek and lowly and humble of heart. Jesus was the humblest person who's ever lived. And he uh, says here, because of truth, humility, and righteousness, Jesus Christ is the righteousness of God the Father given to us that we might be robed in the righteousness of Christ. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells you and me. So this is speaking all about Jesus. And if Jesus is identified and is personified by these aspects and attributes of truth, humility, and righteousness, ought that not to be that which identifies us as well as his people? Shouldn't that be what we are like? Truth Humility and righteousness, if he's our God and, and, and he rules over us and we are surrendered and submitted to him, then this should identify us as well. When people see us, they should see us as those who walk in truth, who walk in humility, and who seek to walk in righteousness because a man will become like his God. In Psalm 46, we have another beautiful promise here to God's people. Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and our strength. Remember Isaiah 46 or Isaiah 45, that he's a refuge from the storm? Here, uh, Psalm 46 tells us the same thing. Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. So no matter what happens in your world, your whole world can be removed. The mountains could be carried into the midst of the sea. The waters can roar and be troubled. And the mountains can shake with great swelling. And yet, God is our, His people, 
He is our refuge and our strength. He is a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear no matter what comes. And make no mistake about it, difficult days are coming for the church. Persecution is coming for the church in America. I firmly believe this. And so we need to be prepared, guys. We cannot fear what is coming upon this earth. I'd rather suffer for righteousness' sake. If I'm going to suffer because I'm a man of God and I'm somebody who's preaching the word of God and they want to punish me for that, wonderful. I just don't want to suffer for my own stupidity's sake because of dumb decisions that I make. You could either suffer for serving the Lord and there's honor and glory in that or you could suffer because you're doing your own thing and you get into trouble. I mean, we're all going to suffer in this world. But I would rather suffer uh, for righteousness sake than suffer for foolishness sake. And I think that we need to be aware and be prepared that difficult days are certainly coming. But again, we don't have to fear. God is our refuge and our strength, and he is our very present help in trouble. That means that whatever you're facing right now, presently in your life, he is your strength. He is your refuge, and he is there for you in your time of trouble. Again, back in Isaiah 25, where we started, in verse 4. For you have been a strength to the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus said. A strength to the needy in his distress. A refuge from the storm. A shade from the heat. For the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. That Jesus is a wall to us, to shield us, to protect us, to fortify us, and to strengthen us. In Isaiah 26, verse 1 Isaiah says this, In that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah, speaking of the millennial reign of Christ. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation, which keeps the truth, may enter in. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah, the Lord, is everlasting strength. If you're facing weakness today, you need to be strengthened in the Lord. You can't be strengthened in your own flesh or in your own understanding or in your own solutions to the problem. Some problems are just bigger than we can solve. We're facing some really, really big issues in our world today. Things that we don't really have the power to stop things that the government is deciding and determining for us. And at some point, we may have to disobey the government in order to practice our faith. Actually, you know, shh, don't tell anybody. We're breaking the laws right now by meeting here. If you didn't know that, we're still not supposed to be meeting indoors. But, you know, thankfully right now, they're not taking us away to jail for this, but a year or two or five years from now, if things continue on this trajectory that they're on with our government and with our culture, uh, it may come down to that, where they start taking us uh, into, in, into jail for our faith. Uh, we have many uh, brothers and, and sisters who are being persecuted right now in this country uh, just for practicing their faith. Pastor Don uh, McClure's son, Mike McClure. Don McClure is one of the founding pastors of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. He's one of Chuck Smith's right-hand men for many, many, many decades. And Don McClure's son took over Don's church in San Jose, Calvary Chapel of San Jose. I believe even John Corson came out of that church when he was a teenager. So this is a Calvary Chapel San Jose. It's been there forever. Well, Pastor Mike McClure is being threatened with jail time because he's meeting just like we are. But he's meeting in the city of San Jose for indoor services. Spread out, plenty of room for people to social distance and sanitizing between services. So in other words, it's safe for you to go to Home Depot and shop with a bazillion people or Costco and shop with a million people or Walmart and shop with tons of people, but you can't come into church and do what you're doing here for an hour and a half or three hours a week. This is illegal. This is dangerous, but you could go and do that. You can fly in an airplane where you're literally packed in like sardines uh, into the plane and into the gates, the loading areas, going through uh, the security checks 
packed in like sardines, and, and, and that is safe, but you can't come here and meet in church. This is unsafe. So it's, it's a double standard. It's hypocrisy uh, to say that this is unsafe, but that is safe, what, what is allowed. And so there are our friends and our Pastor Rob McCoy in Thousand Oaks, the same thing. Newberry Park, uh, facing tremendous fines. Mike McClure up in San Jose now has $1.6 million in fines by the city of San Jose for doing what, what I'm doing right now, what we're doing right here. $1.6 million. They're fining his church and they're fining him personally for rebelling against the governor's orders and by meeting in person and having church like we're doing here. And so we need to be not afraid, but we need to be aware of what's happening. And we need to understand that difficult times will come. But God says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Whose mind is stayed on thee. If you keep your mind on Jesus, then none of these things will move you. None of these things will shake your faith. And, and we are in good company, guys. Jesus Christ suffered. All of the great men and women of the Bible suffered for their faith. It's an honor, actually, and it's a privilege to be able to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ. And we just need to be prepared. In Isaiah 26, in verse 7, we read this. The way of the just is uprightness. O most upright, you weigh the path of the just. Yes, in the way of your judgments, O Lord, we have waited for you. The desire of our soul is for your name and for the remembrance of you. With my soul I have desired you in the night. Yes, by my spirit within me, I will seek you early. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. You see, God must judge sinful man. Otherwise, sin just gets worse and worse and worse. A hundred years ago, the people who lived in this country couldn't imagine what the world would look like today. The people a hundred years ago, in 1921, if they could see the future and see the filth and the wickedness of our society, they wouldn't believe it. They wouldn't believe it, that America could become, in just such a short period of time, such a different nation. We went from being a, a God-fearing nation, a church-going nation, a Christian nation, to something that is not a God-fearing nation. We are the opposite of a God-fearing nation today. And so the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness when the judgments are in the earth. God must judge wickedness. He must judge sin. If he doesn't judge sin, he's not the God that the Bible says that he is. In Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 8, we read this. Isaiah 41 verse 8. But you, Israel, are my servant. Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You need to read the scriptures. You need to encourage yourself in the word of God. When you feel faint, when you feel weak, when you feel scared because you're looking at the storm and you're looking at what's coming. The storm clouds are forming and we could potentially see what is coming down the road and it's scary for some of us. But we have to take our eyes off of the storm and we have to put our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And then we have his perfect peace. We have his hope. We will not fear because he is with us. We will not be dismayed because we know the Lord. He is our God. He says, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. But you have to turn to God. You have to run to Jesus. You have to hide yourself in him. And then the storm will pass over you and I. 
Verse 11 of Isaiah 41 says this. Behold, all those who were incensed against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. They shall be as nothing. And those who strive with you shall perish. You shall seek them and not find them. Those who contended with you, those who war against you shall be as nothing, as a non-existent thing. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, fear not, I will help you. Verse 14, fear not, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel, I will help you, says the Lord, and your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. We're his people. We don't have to fear what is coming. He's our father, and he's a good father to his children. This world is facing a judgment like it's never faced before since the time of Sodom and Gomorrah and the time of the flood of Noah. That is what's coming for this world, but I don't fear what's coming upon this world because I don't plan to be here for that judgment that God is going to pour out upon a Christ-rejecting world that is following the devil's man, worshiping and serving the Antichrist and taking his mark. I don't plan to be here for that time. Uh, I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for the return of Jesus Christ, and we will be with him in glory. In Psalm 103, the Psalms are so beautiful, so full of encouragement to us in our faith. Oftentimes, you could just read the Psalms out loud, and, and, and the Psalms will just calm your heart and your mind. Psalm 103, verse 1 says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. Notice this, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. Verse 15 as for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those who remember his commandments to do them. The Lord always distinguishes in his judgment between his people and his enemies, his children and his enemies. He does not judge and pour out his wrath upon his children as he pours out his wrath upon his enemies. As a matter of fact, when the Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed, he does this. He judges the wicked in order to help the righteous. He judges the wicked in order to help those who are oppressed because the wicked will hurt uh, the innocent and will hurt the widows and the orphans and the wicked will hurt uh, the righteous. That's what they do. Shouldn't surprise us. But toward us, toward his people, he's merciful. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He is abounding in mercy. And thank God he has not dwelt, uh, dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. To the contrary, 
He forgives us and shows us grace and mercy for our sins and for our iniquities. No, he doesn't punish us because he punished his only begotten son on the cross of Calvary. Jesus Christ died for our sins on the cross of Calvary. He's dealt with our sins once for all, for all time on the cross. And therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, persecutions may come and and we shouldn't be surprised by that. It should be something that we would anticipate actually happening Uh, but we shouldn't fear persecutions because God will give us the strength to endure even as he's given us the strength to endure the whole last year that we've dealt with all of these uncertainties and closures and anxieties of things that have come upon our world here we still are our faith is still strong our church is still open our doors are still open we're still preaching the gospel we're still singing praises to the Lord all of these things are really Um, against the governor's orders, and yet God has given us an open door at this time to continue to meet and to celebrate uh, our faith and to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But persecution may come, and persecution likely will come, and we just need to be aware of it. We need to be prepared for it so that it will not shake us in our faith. As a matter of fact, Jesus taught his followers In Matthew chapter 5, with the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, starting in verse 3 of Matthew 5, Jesus said this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What a a beautiful list of blessings here. Not exactly the way that we would think of blessings. Uh, but it's, it's true blessings that Jesus is telling us here. Blessed means happy. Oh, how happy are the poor in spirit. Oh, how happy are those who mourn. Oh, how happy are the meek, etc. Oh, how happy are you when they persecute you, when they revile you, when they say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Notice it's not say all kinds of evil against you truthfully because you're living in a way that you're not supposed to be living. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about us suffering for the bad choices that we sometimes make. He's saying, blessed are you when you're persecuted and and you are uh, spoken evil about falsely for my name's sake. And he says, rejoice, be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You look at the prophets and you see how they suffered in the Bible. And yet they are the heroes of our faith. They are the ones that we teach our children, you know, to emulate and to learn from. Uh, They weren't perfect men or women, uh, but they trusted God and they finished their race faithfully. And we learn from them that if they could suffer for God's sake, then we can suffer for God's sake. You look at Daniel being thrown into the lion's den in Babylon. You look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fiery furnace in Babylon. Why did they get thrown into the fiery furnace? Because they wouldn't bow to the statues and to the idols of Babylon. They wouldn't worship other gods. They would only worship the true and living God. And as a result, they were cast into this fiery furnace. And of course, Jesus met them there. He always meets us in our times of fiery furnace experiences and our trials. Uh, And they were told uh, that if you will not bow down to this statue made of gold for Nebuchadnezzar, he says, you're going to be cast into the fiery furnace. And they said, uh, well, if God wants to save us, he can save us in the fiery furnace. And if not, that's okay too. 
they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, but we are not going to bow to your idol, told him. And so they are an example of someone who is willing to suffer for righteousness sake. And God met them in their time of need. Daniel, the same thing with the lion's den. They couldn't find anything to accuse Daniel of. He was a righteous man. He was a godly man. He was a God-fearing man. The only thing they could convict Daniel of doing wrong was regarding his practice of his faith, of his religion, of worshiping Jehovah, worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so they made a law that it was illegal to pray. And they said for 30 days nobody could pray in uh, the Medo-Persian Empire except to pray only to the king, to King Darius. And the king said, okay, sounds good. But they were trying to set up Daniel because they knew that Daniel would never pray to another god. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would never bow before an idol. And so they thought, we've got Daniel now. He's going to pray He's going to break this law because he's going to pray to his God. He's not going to pray to King Darius. We're going to catch him red-handed, and we're going to feed him to the lions in the lion's den, and that's going to be the end of Daniel, and we're going to get to take his place. And, of course, Daniel would not compromise. Daniel would not stop praying. Daniel would not stop the regular practice of his faith, even though it was going to cost Daniel his life. And in the end, you know the story. God saved Daniel from the lions in the lion's den. But, but the, the bottom line is, is that he would not compromise. He would not bow the knee to Baal or bow the knee to another god or to offer worship to anyone other than the true and living God. And Jesus says, rejoice, be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets who were before you. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus tells us this. Luke chapter 6 and verse 20. Jesus says, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you. And when they exclude you and they revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For indeed, your reward is great in heaven. And in like manner, their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full. For you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now. For you shall mourn and weep. Verse 26. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. Very interesting. It's like the reverse of what we would think. We would like for people to all speak well of us. But Jesus says woe to you when the world speaks well of you. Because... If you were of my kingdom, Jesus says, the world is not going to like you. We're not of this world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We don't belong to this world anymore. We are looking forward to the world that is to come. This world is not our home. We're just passing through this life to get to heaven. That's the real life. That's our focus. That is where we will receive our rewards for all that we do for Jesus in this life. He will reward us. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you, and when they cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. So if people are reviling you and people are persecuting you according to Jesus, and people are hating you because of Jesus, and they're excluding you, and they're speaking ill of you, Jesus says, great, rejoice, rejoice. That's how they treated Jesus when he was here. So you're in good company. I'm in good company, but be careful when you're the most popular person and everybody loves you and everybody speaks well of you because so they spoke of the false prophets in ancient times. You know, um, the early church knew a lot about suffering for their faith. As a matter of fact, uh, if you read the Fox's Book of Martyrs, I haven't read Fox's Book of Martyrs in a few years. I probably should read it again. But Fox's Book of Martyrs has the history of the church and how much blood 
was shed to really lay the foundation for the church that you and I are a part of now. Uh, the ancient uh, Christian fathers, the historians of the Christian faith, say that it was the blood of the saints that was the seed of the church. And it was only because the blood was shed of the saints that the seed was planted that grew into what we see. The church has gone over the whole world at this point after 2,000 years. But at the beginning, Satan was just trying to destroy those few Christians that were there, wipe them out. As a matter of fact, Fox's Book of Martyrs tells us that all of Jesus' hand-picked disciples were all martyred for their faith. They, none of them died a natural death except for John the Beloved, who wrote the book of Revelation. But they tried to kill John the Beloved. They tried to boil him in a pot of boiling oil. And just like the three Hebrew boys did not get burned in the fiery furnace of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, so too they couldn't kill John, the beloved disciple. They threw him into a pot of boiling oil. It didn't hurt him. So what they ended up doing was taking him and punishing him by putting him onto an island, a work island, like a slave island uh, of Patmos, like a mining island, real rough and rocky and craggy, and he was an old man as a punishment. And that's where Jesus met him and gave him the revelation or the apocalypse or the unveiling of the end times, which is the last book of uh, our Bible. And so all of the other disciples, they were all martyred. They were all killed. They did not die a natural death. And they thought it was an honor to be able to be beaten for Jesus, an honor to be scourged for Jesus Christ. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ's name's sake. Would we see it the same way if we suffer for Christ's name's sake? Would we rejoice and count it an honor and a privilege? Or would we just say, woe is me and feel sorry for ourselves if we suffered for Christ's sake. So we just need to understand persecution may come, persecution will come. I don't know uh, to what degree or what we're going to see, but it's, it's, it's actually something that refines and purifies us. Persecution and suffering refines us like a fire refines the gold. It purifies the gold. And so we ought not to fear whatever comes our way. Um, I watched a movie. It was kind of a corny movie, but it was a, it was a great story. I knew the story uh, of Polycarp. They made a movie of Polycarp, one of the uh, ancient church fathers. And Polycarp was well known because he was a bishop in the Roman Empire when the church was just about 100 years old to 150 years old. It was around 156, 157 A.D., when the Roman government basically said that if you're going to worship any other god in addition to worshiping Caesar or the emperor, um, you are going to have to publicly worship Caesar also. So the Romans had a plethora of gods. They had all kinds of gods that they worshiped, Mars and Venus and all these other gods, Jupiter and so forth. Um, and so they weren't against the worship of other gods in Rome, but they wanted to stamp out Christianity because everybody was becoming a Christian in the Roman Empire, especially the slaves were all becoming Christians, and they were wanting to kind of tone it down. And so what they said was, is you could worship Jesus, that's fine, but you also have to worship Caesar. And what they would have to do is they'd have to go before uh, the uh, potentate or the representative of the emperor there, and they would have to say... Caesar is Lord, and they would have to offer a grain offering of grain upon the fire as an offering to Caesar. And then they would let you go worship Jesus and go to church on Sundays or do whatever you're going to do. But once a year, you had to show your fealty and your devotion to Caesar above all other gods. And of course, the Christians could not do this. The Christians could not say, Caesar is Lord. The Christians can only say Jesus Christ is Lord. And so they were targeting the church. And they really wanted to make an example of this bishop, this old man at the time. I think he was 88 years old at the time. Uh, and they wanted to make an example of him because they figured if they would punish him, then all of his followers would basically turn away from Christianity and they would be loyal to the emperor. And so what they did is they took Polycarp, they pulled him before the tribunal. He refused to say uh, Caesar is Lord. He refused to offer the grain offering to Caesar. And so they made a pub public spectacle of him uh, in one of the amphitheaters where they would feed the Christians to the lions and so forth. 
And what they wanted to do was to burn him alive to make an example of Polycarp in front of the crowds. So they put him on a, a, a fire, like a funeral uh, pyre, while he was still alive, tied him up to the stake. They lit the fire in front of these crowds of people, and Polycarp didn't burn. He just stood there, and the fire did not touch him. It didn't harm him. And they put more wood on the fire, and it still didn't burn him. And the whole audience was watching this. You better believe it made an impact on the people. They thought, well, whose God is this guy's God? I want to know more about Polycarp's God. So it had the opposite effect. So what they ended up doing was they killed him with a spear through the heart while he was there because the fires wouldn't burn him. And um, church historians tell us that there was a huge revival that took place in the Roman Empire after that martyrdom of Polycarp because number one they saw a man who was willing to suffer and die for his faith he wasn't going to uh, cow in the face of persecution he was willing to stand up for what he believed and even suffer for what he believed God honored that God allowed the fires not to harm him and then he died a martyr's death and uh, he's one of the great uh, early church fathers, Polycarp. So this is something that is not uncommon if you go back through church history where there were times and seasons where Christians, true Christians, had to make a choice to suffer for Jesus. And that's okay. It's okay. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear what man can do to us. Jesus said, don't fear man who could kill the body, but fear God who can kill the body and the soul in hell. The true essence of who you are is not your body. It's your soul that lives inside of your body. Your body's going to die. It's going to go back to the dust. None of us are going to get out of here alive unless we're raptured and resurrected. Uh, This body's going to go back to the dust. But your soul, the essence of who you are, will live forever. You are a spirit. And your spirit will exist forever, either forever and ever with Jesus or forever and ever in hell in the lake of fire. God will honor your choice. If you don't want Jesus now and you don't want Jesus to rule over you, then he won't force Jesus to rule over you for all eternity. But that means you're going to be separated from Jesus for all eternity. And he will honor that if that is your choice. In Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 2, the prophet says this, O Lord, I have heard your speech and I was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. I think we need to start praying some of these scriptures, guys, as God begins to remove his hand of protection from our nation. And we begin to see things grow darker and more evil and more dangerous. That we need to cry out to God that even in his righteous wrath, which is justified, that we deserve his wrath as a nation, that he would remember mercy because he's a merciful and a forgiving and a patient and a long-suffering God. He's so patient with us. And Habakkuk, after God was showing him the judgment that was going to be poured out upon his people, we read this beautiful... um, this, this beautiful summary at the end of Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 17. This praise to God. He says this. He says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, Habakkuk 3.17, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. And he will make me to walk on high places. Hind's feet on high places. The psalmist describes the deer that's up there in the mountains. That's out there on top of the rocks. That you know has that, that vantage point and that view. And you know, can see what's coming and can see the dangers and can hide himself. This is how the prophet saw himself, that he was like that deer on high hills and, you know, with a steady footing. And, and he says, no matter what comes, no matter what comes our way, the fig tree's not going to blossom. There's no fruit on the vines. Though there's uh, the of the olive will fail, 
though the fields yield no food, though the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. In other words, if we lose everything, if there's no food and there's no provision and it's all gone, he says this, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will joy in the God of my salvation. No matter what happened, nothing was going to shake this prophet's faith in God. Because we don't find our peace in our circumstances or in this world. We find our peace in Jesus Christ, who's over this whole world. He's on his throne in heaven, and he is coming again to make everything right and to set up his kingdom and to rule and reign in righteousness forever and ever. One more scripture here, and then we finish. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, we're reminded to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then he says in verse 3, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. The key is, is our perspective to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, no matter what comes our way, no matter what we face in our country or in this world or what we face in 2021, whether it's a better year than 2020 or a worse year than it was in 2020, who knows? But nothing should take our eyes off of Jesus. If we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, he's the author or the beginner or the one who started our faith, He's the finisher or the completer, the one who's going to complete our faith. He suffered. He endured the cross. He went through the shame for the joy that was set before him. And he went all the way through, all the way to the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. His body was buried in the tomb. His soul went to the heart of the earth, the scriptures say. He led captivity captive. He atoned for the sins of the world. And he is now seated at the right hand of glory, the right hand of the throne of God, just waiting for his father to tell him, son, go get your bride. It's time. Go get your bride, bring her home. And then this whole age, this whole age of rebellion against God is going to be completed. God is going to destroy this earth. He is going to destroy the devil and all those who follow him. And he is going to set up his kingdom where he's going to rule and reign in righteousness forever and ever and ever. And that is good news. That's why we don't have to fear whatever's coming. Even death is not something to be afraid of, guys. You cannot die before your time. You don't have to fear death. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. If you are in the will of God, you're a child of God. You cannot die outside of God's will. So you don't have to fear death. Just keep being used of God while you have life. And when God decides to call you home, then you get to go and enter into glory and receive your rewards. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, we do thank you that for the joy that was set before you, you endured the cross, despising the shame. You suffered for us. You suffered in our place, Jesus, at the hands of wicked men. We thank you, Lord, that you are seated at the right hand of power. You're seated at the right hand of the throne of your Father. We thank you, Jesus, that you are still on your throne that you told us what to expect in the last days so that we wouldn't be afraid, so we wouldn't be surprised. I pray that you would strengthen us for the days ahead, that we would truly see that you are our refuge in the storms of this world, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you have a job for us to do. You have a purpose for each and every one of us. You have a reason, Lord, for us even existing. And so I pray, Father, you would help us to find your will for our lives, Lord, and to seek to live for you, that we would please you and not ourselves, that we would not be living for the temporal things of this world that are passing away, 
but that we would be living for eternal things, Lord God, and for eternity. Bless your people, Lord. Strengthen your people, Father. Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, I pray that today would be the day that they would surrender their life, lives to you, Lord. They would bow their heart, Lord, and bend their knee to King Jesus today, Lord. We thank you, Father, for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your patience with us. And we pray for your covering upon us. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. <clears throat> We all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, Email us at C-O-A-H podcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church to Hatchapi, California.